Welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult. I'm your host, Sarah Credis, and in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. In this bonus episode, we'll be discussing the IPP Common Sensing Project, which aims to improve resilience to the impacts of climate change suffered by small island developing states. I'm joined virtually today from Fiji by UNOSAT's in-country technical expert, Lemba Naunaki-Naka, Commonwealth National Climate Finance Advisor, Catherine Cook, and from the UK, geospatial data scientist and engineer for Spatial Days and the satellite application Catapult, Richard Oates, and project marketing executive also at the satellite application Catapult, Nathan Woodley. Space may not be the first thing that comes to mind when considering the Earth's climate, but it has quietly helped us to understand and contend with our current climate crisis. Indeed, without space, we would not know nearly as much about our need to act as we currently do. And as the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events increases, there has never been more of a need for this type of information. This is particularly true for the people of Fiji, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands. Despite contributing the least to global greenhouse gas emissions, small island nation developing states are on the front line of the climate crisis. With around one third of the population living less than five metres above sea level, rising waters are forcing communities from their ancestral home as land and lives are lost to the effects of climate change. Recognising the need to act, the UK Space Agency-funded IPP Common Sensing Project has created a tool to support these nations and assist decision-makers in their efforts. Through the Common Sensing platform, map-based evidence can be used to navigate the complex funding landscape, as well as resilience and relocation efforts, disaster risk reduction, and enhanced food security. The IPP Common Sensing Project featured in our first series, where we explored the need for space-based solutions in the fight against climate change. As the project draws to a close this year, we are turning our attention to the impact of this innovative technology, its applications, and the potential extension to other small island nations. So first of all, um, Lember, I'm going to start with you. Um, Can you just explain what this IPP common sense project is all about and why it matters so much. Thank you. So the IPP common sensing project essentially focused on, um, you know, supporting three Commonwealth uh, small island developing states in the Pacific. eh? So it um, really looked at how we can leverage uh, satellite remote sensing capabilities to support these three countries uh, across the four thematic areas of the project. Uh, But also uh, this really came out of, uh, you know, earlier uh, after COP23 discussions where the countries needed support in terms of earth observation, remote sensing, uh, support that could better su- better fit into their decision-making uh, processes and, uh, you know, have more evidence basis for identified and prioritized bankable climate financing proposals uh, that this, uh, the governments of these respective countries um, are undertaking. So that's uh, that's the background, and you know it's sitting on two pillars for for Fiji. We have the development and deployment of the, you know, uh, common sensing uh, tools 
geospatial and climate information tools and the open data cube system, which Richard Oates, you know, steam has been very pivotal in creating. And then on the other, the other components, um, key pillar is on the climate financing. So having this type of information better support um, the second component. And you're on the ground in, in Fiji. How much of a difference has this IPP common sensing project made? The, the key um, benefit is to the Ministry of Economy's Climate Change Office. So, you know, Fiji has its geospatial industry. Um, there's always been that gap with the climate change space to better support, to better link up the geospatial information which tend to focus uh, before, you know, in asset management around utility companies, um, you know, land administration. So this is a project that really links that information to, to better support our climate, uh, you know, our climate change activities, our climate change priorities. Um, and that's the gap that it's, uh, you know, it's been, that, that it imports, that, makes IPP common sensing, um, you know, stand out. And that's, that's what we're leveraging. So Nathan, project marketing executive for IPP common sensing, can you explain the challenges that small island developing nations face when trying to access climate finance, and also the challenges they face because of climate change? Yeah, sure. So SIDs are facing some of the worst impacts of climate change, despite contributing the least. So we're all facing impacts of climate change, uh, as you'll have seen with Storm Eunice in the UK and some of the damage that that caused. But the issue is that SIDs are less well able to respond. Uh, They're not on an equal footing. So in the build up to COP26 in November, a lot of data on climate finance came out. And from that data, we know that the least developed countries only received 20.5% of the reported figures. SIDs only received 3% of that support. So the scale is really quite stark. Uh, And also climate finance proposals are really complex and they require detailed evidence-based justifications uh, for people to get access to the finance. Can you just explain to the layperson why it is that SIDS, that small island developing nations, are facing the biggest risk but receive so little compared to more developed nations in terms of finance to combat the effects of climate change? So in essence, it's because in order to access that finance, firstly, it has to be affordable. And secondly, it's also about the type of finance. So whether those procedures require a strong baseline justification, uh, and they're quite time consuming uh, with complex formats and capacity is low. It's also then the type of format that we want to access. So the type of finance, uh, so whether it's grant based, what we don't want to see is loans with high payout structures. The funding we want is grant-based and based on adaptation as well. Um, So a lot of these major climate funds, the GEF, the Green Climate Fund, the Adaptation Fund, uh, they all require really strong justification. Uh, And these baselines, as Lembo was just talking about, we need to build those sets of baselines. And the funds have all actually been quite clear on the need for more evidence-based proposals. Uh, And this is where the innovative use of Earth observation data plays a part. So I'm going to bring in you now, Catherine, Commonwealth National Climate Finance Advisor. 
Is Earth's observation something which could bridge the financial divide? Because it looks to me like it's two problems. It's access to finance, but also access to information about what's going on. Now, do you think that by having projects like IPP Common Sensing, it's actually presenting a shift in terms of equality about how we combat the effects of climate change globally? Yeah, so... We, we hope that Earth observation data can play an integral and instrumental part in that. As Lembus said, we are currently working on building sector data, so building data sets and baselines across some of the most fundamental sectors here in Fiji and our counterparts in Vanuatu and Solomon Islands are, are doing the same. So agricultural sectors, um, you know, energy sectors, emissions and things like that and, and gathering those baselines. The idea is that um, we can then use this information in producing a very clear rationale for projects um, and, and also using the maps and, and different infographics that are lodged within the, in the common sensing platform to be able to incorporate them in climate finance proposals, in essence, making a more compelling case. So producing a, a, a more compelling case, but also to say that, that it can be used not only in the project preparation stage, so prioritizing and decision making using these robust data sets, but also um, with in project implementation, we could be using uh, a lot of these GIS information and perhaps, for example, um, maps of mangroves to understand, you know, where they are and where they need rehabilitating, but also within the project implementation itself and monitoring and evaluation. So that's looking retrospectively at the data sets and seeing how things have changed from a baseline and being able to monitor that clearly. So you've got all three of those project phases that it can be used in. And really there is a need, there are huge data gaps at the moment across um, Pacific SIDS, but also speaking to our colleagues in the Caribbean, I think it's felt that we need to have more robust data sets um, producing, providing this information and baseline. And that will make it more clear on what needs to be done and how. And, and what's more is needed then to get these um, more robust data sets? Well, I guess this is the gap that the common sensing and, and platform can, can fill in that, you know, there are a huge amount of data sets in there at the moment, which Richard, I think, will talk about in a minute about the types of data, whether it be um, slope elevation or, or meteorological data. So, so all of those data sets are already lodged within the platform and, and Richard can take us through that. So we have that information and we can splice that together with sector data. So it might be um, maps of, of farms or um, road networks or population data from Facebook um, um, uh, mobile phone networks who may be aware in you know a lot of uh, of renewable energy projects and off-grid projects their uh, mobile phone payments are, are rising in popularity so you might be looking at a project where you would need to understand where the grid extends to versus um, population data and demographic from Facebook but also um, road um, mobile phone data and access uh, so so these are the kinds of data sets that with this this um, these um, initial in data from the data cube that Richard will talk about now. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, other data. And, and so that's what the gap that the common sensing platform is trying to fill. And then when we do receive new data sets that are being generated all the time through projects and, and proposals, we, we will 
store them in a central repository that's held crucially within the Ministry of Economy. So it's all open source and owned by the government as well and, and free access to, to anybody at all. And of course, Richard, as you mentioned there, he was the, the person who actually developed this tool. We'll, we'll come on to Richard in a moment. But Lemba, I just wanted to go back to you and I'm just wondering if you could actually paint a picture for us of the, the impact that climate change has had on Fiji and, and why this tool is so essential. Yeah, so, you know, the there's many impacts of, uh, you know, a changing climate here. So everyone, I mean, recognizes that um, on the ground. It's just, um, so it depends on, it's, it's, it depends on the project. Um, for example, one of the activities that the Common Sensing Project uh, delivered was having that mangrove mapping. So it's, data is produced per request. We have, uh, you know, base, base data that we've uh, put on the Common Sensing platform, including, you know, those topographic uh, parcel boundaries, demographic information, those statistics as baselines. But like Catherine mentioned, then 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 we overlay the sectoral uh, data that really contextualizes the need for a specific use case for the data that the common sensing, um, you know, common sensing can leverage. So case in point, we have like the mangrove uh, mapping, which you know, the Department of Forest is using, is officially using to support the inventory of uh, of mangroves for these five areas eh? because it was really um, well done because we we used sort of a hybrid method to do it. It was, it was generated by, you know, semi-automatic classification and then we verified uh, that with high res- very high-resolution satellite imageries, which, you know, we, we never before had for like the whole the entire Fiji group coverage at the very high resolution scale so that is one contribution you know that was provided uh, to the government that also enables this kind of quality checks quality assurance for this kind of detailed mapping that's why we had uh, produced a mangrove map that was very resourceful and is now being used by the department of uh, forests Another um, another work is the relocation process, which is the climate change uh, plan relocation, uh, which is uh, kind of one of the key key uh, prioritized activities for the government at the moment. So we're looking at those vulnerable communities that have been flagged uh, that that urgently need to be relocated because the community is you know living in a place that is almost uh, not uh, habitable anymore. So one of the things that common sensing was tasked to do is to there was two 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 parts one is to look at the alternative sites that have been discussed uh, with these communities and the relocation task force to look at the uh, the suitability of these alternative sites if they move there it has to meet all these certain criteria that's flagged and discussed with across the you know members of the task force and it uh, so we we using a multi criteria decision analysis tool to help with generating that suitability and the other key component which I am currently out here uh, doing is to do an in-situ adaptation study to review uh, other interventions that can still be explored um, as options to relocation. So if if we don't relocate, this is with the intention that relocation should only be undertaken as an option of last resort. So we went around uh, these communities, consulting them, getting their views on and discussing what are the possible interventions and to look at how, you know, how the government can support. If there was 
another measure that could have been taken to save the village, uh, what were those options and, and to come up with the respective costs for those alternatives so we know what, we are, what we're dealing with and why they weren't possible if, if we proceed to relocation. So the, the case for relocation is justified as an option of uh, really last resort. So those are some examples where you know, we are currently helping inform you know, uh, key activities uh, that the government is really at the moment prioritizing. Uh? Climate change relocation is one of it. The other one is EBUS and, you know, Fiji Rural Electrification uh, Program, which Catherine is uh, more involved in. Uh? So, so you talk about um, the relocation and and. Unlike you, many of us haven't been lucky enough to to visit the beautiful island that I imagine is Fiji. But but just can you just describe how how disastrous the um, the impact of climate change is potentially going to be for the island and what it's actually like for people on the ground? Yeah, there are some communities uh, like at the moment the community that is being prioritised to be relocated. They're currently uh, still living in tents. They're living in evacuation they they are living in an evacuation uh, you know center which is the church compound um, they're they're currently awaiting assistance so the um, geotech survey team have uh, confirmed the the site is no longer safe for the community to 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 continue to live in, so they will, uh, you know, be relocated. So those are one of that's one of the sites. But there are other other sites that, you know, they have mentioned that there may be other interventions, like maybe having instead of like a vertical seawall that uh, is not effective. That have been tried over the last five years is is definitely not working, uh, from their experience. So maybe a different design, more suitable design, maybe more appropriate, maybe a ground growing, you know. A base design that goes outward into the sea to kind of uh, just buffer the, the the wave action, and you know they may be able to sustain growing mangroves. So those are other options that you know we are currently discussing. If those options can still be explored, then we try that and see if the next five years, if that doesn't work, then we go with climate change relocation. Climate change relocation, um, you know, is something that that is government driven. Government had produced, but it's community requested. So we've got a couple of communities that have requested this support, but, you know, government needs to justify why they select one community over another. So uh, you need evidence, you need uh, scientific data, you need earth observation inputs into that, remote sensing support to see and validate how these, you know, changes, shoreline erosion have occurred over time. Uh, Whatever evidence we can extract from the common sensing that can support you know, these justifications, this rationale um, with these communities is important in, you know, in informing that uh, decision. The government is doing its part in uh, setting up a climate change relocation displaced people's trust fund, which, uh, you know, we have an environmental levy where heavy you know, uh, carbon emitters like uh, super yachters and <laughs> they get um, charged an environmental levy, a percentage of that it feeds into a, feed, a percentage of that feeds into this uh, fund that is government's um, uh, how they generate funds that come into this but it's also topped up by other development partners that would like to support the relocation process and uh, they channel funds to the trust fund and that funding is used to help these communities that are most affected by climate change 
And and how does it make you feel that we we have these options um, using space technology and through the the common sensing tool to actually combat uh, combat the impact of climate change in Fiji? I think it's fantastic. This is what um, I hoped it would do, <laughs> and it's uh, it's good that it's helping communities on the ground. Wonderful. And and we'll bring in now um, Richard Oates, who is from Spatial Days. Now, Richard. You've developed this tool. Um, can you just describe a bit more in detail how it works and what you're actually doing to ensure its future success? Yes. So I, I was the uh, solution architect for, for the common sensing system. And so my role in the project has been to bring together the uh, various data providers and bring together the various um, parties who are able to develop uh, the tools that we need for common sensing um, and, and bring them together into one sort of integrated system. And, and one of the really sort of important uh, considerations that, that we took all the way through from the, you know, the initial sort of design stages all the way through to, to the build um, was sustainability. So we, we've had an eye on sustainability the entire time. Um, and that, to be honest, has has meant that we've had some difficulties we've had to make some tricky decisions along the way and we've had some challenges to overcome because of those decisions but you know sustainability is an important thing we want common sensing to to have a long-term uh, legacy in, in the south pacific and and so you know you need to make uh, make that happen um and so there's there's been a number of of ways we've we've done that um but perhaps maybe i could just talk a little bit about what common sensing is from my point of view and we've heard a great sort of uh, input from Lemba um, but in terms of from, from from how I see it the common sensing is is made up of of a whole host of, of different data sets provided by a number of project partners um, and open source data sets that are now becoming more and more uh, freely available um, <clears throat> and then going along with that are a series of of apps and tools that allow you to uh, to look at that data to overlay it to query it and and generate derived products um, from those data sets which can then be used to extract information from basically so what we're trying to do is take raw data and, and get information out of it and that information can then feed into things like climate finance um, proposals to to establish baselines um, and, and also to provide justifications for for climate finance um, and so you know that's really the the what what common sensing has done and and then going along with that is is the sort of training and, and capacity building side of um, what common sensing needed to to deliver um, because you know there's, there's absolutely no point having data and tools if, if people can't get the best use out of them and so, you know, those two things have been um, ongoing throughout the project, the data and the tools, and then the, the training capacity building to go with it. Um, so really, in, in terms of sustainability, um, we've made a couple of decisions along the way we, we, to sort of guarantee sustainability. So, so one of the things we looked at right on early on is the Fiji government had already invested in an ESRI enterprise license for Fiji, which is ESRI is, a main, is the main probably GIS provider, uh, GIS is Geographic Information Systems, and they're the main sort of GIS software provider in the world today um, when it comes to Geographic Information System softwares. Um, and they'd already invested in an enterprise license and therefore 
it was government support for that. And so it was felt that actually if we developed a, a solution underneath that license, that that would guarantee sustainability of that solution going forward. Um, so that was one big decision. <clears throat> um, and that has had you know consequences in terms of how we develop the tools, what we and, and what we do with those tools, how we process the data. Um, and and who we make it available to because Esri is a proprietary software and um, so we've we've had to make some decisions along the way to 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 support that um, and then when it comes to Vanuatu and Solomons we decided that we would go much more with an open source stack of software um, basically to keep the ongoing licensing fees to a minimum uh, to zero in fact and uh, that would help sustainability because it just makes the these tools easier to to look after and support so most of your support and operations money is is just dedicated to keeping the systems up and then maintaining them in terms of software versioning and and keeping your data current um, so it's much better to pour money in that direction than it is in, in into a license fee so so that's really the decision that that we went with for Vanuatu and Solomon um, and then architecture wise when we looked at the overall system we we wanted to make the system a distributed architecture as much as possible um, because you know we didn't want one big system in one place because it really doesn't help resilience when we're looking at natural disasters and um, you know the impact of things like the, the recent Tonga um, volcano um, and that just knocks out internet connectivity for you know the the whole island and so if you have a system that's all based in one place then you no you knock out the ability for that system to support during other disasters on other islands so we really wanted a, a distributed architecture which would then allow the different project providers and the different data providers to continue to work the way they currently work and make it easier for them to support the project because it's it's familiar it's hosted from their own environment and, and they're just distributing that data or those tools across the internet um, across open interfaces as far as possible. So that's what we've done. We, we've developed a distributed architecture and it's working well. Um, and then I guess one of the other areas of, of sustainability where, which has been a, a big decision for us was to engage the University of the South Pacific as a project stakeholder. Um, they are in really important uh, uh, Pacific stakeholder and they have a number of uh, virtual campuses distributed across the South Pacific. Um, so that gives us access to those countries, gives us um, venues for training, etc. Um, but more importantly, it provides internet connectivity. So in a number of those islands, uh, USP has some quite advanced infrastructure when it comes to connectivity and they have both microwave and wired links. Um, which is great because you get a degree of redundancy in the event of a, a natural disaster. Um, so a good example is, is the recent um, volcanic explosion in, in, in Tonga. Um, I think government internet or countrywide internet was only restored today, in fact, um, about, about five weeks after the event. So, but throughout that time, and I think I'm right in saying this, I, I could check it tonight, but um, uh, USP have actually had an internet connection into Tonga and that's been working the entire time. So, you know, that has actually been, you know, it's kind of validated that decision. Um, and also they, they are a, a regional um, uh, university. So there are people, you know, from the South Pacific studying at USP, going out with undergrad and postgrad degrees in, in geospatial 
um, technology and in earth observation uh, tools and techniques and you know those people are then going to go on and find jobs in the ministry so you know that really does give us the ability as, as common sensing to if we can impact those students um, with the kinds of tools that common sensing has developed and, and help them in terms of their training and, and research that gives us a the ability for the common sensing project to have a long-term impact um, in in the region um, so USP are, are really seen as a, as a key uh, stakeholder um, and they really recognize the, the sort of teaching and, and research uh, benefits that hosting part of the common sensing solution for us will bring. So they're really on board and, and want to do that. Um, and then, yeah, we've made some other decisions as well along the way. Um, one of the decisions which has derailed things a little actually um, was to slightly change the way we were working with um, Earth observation metadata. Um, there's a new standard that's come out called Stack, um, and Stack enables you to make Earth observation data much more freely available from an existing archive, so it can be used by anyone, anywhere. Um, and we decided to adjust our data cube to support Stack, um, and in the process, the data cube stopped working. <laughs> so we've had to spend uh, a couple of months now <clears throat> getting everything fixed. But you know, the, the point with those kinds of things is is you know you have to have sustainability in your head when you when you design these solutions otherwise it just doesn't work and it doesn't it's not future proof and uh, we have to we have to be future proof for these solutions as, as much as we can so yeah so that's just a kind of whistle stop tour through some of the sustainability decisions that we've had to make on the project. And this is an, an incredible overview that you've just provided. I know you just touched on one of the challenges, but just to, I suppose, give our audience a, or give our listeners an awareness of how complex this has been, what have been some of the other challenges that you've actually faced while developing this? There's been a number of challenges. I, I, I'd say if I started right at the beginning, a lot of the, the um, tools that we have used, particularly on the, on the data cube side, um, which is a, a data cube is, is an archive of Earth observation data and it's a really clever way of, of storing and indexing Earth observation data such that you can run queries against it to generate products and that's really what the data cube is. Um, and to do that we've had to use a number of open source libraries um, out there in the world and bolt those together and because they're, they're open source they, they're community developed, they developed by people in their spare time um, and you know, it's not exactly bug free um, and a lot of that stuff is really at the cutting edge of, of development. There's, there's probably only a couple of hundred people in the world that, that are working in this area. Um, and so, you know, when when things go wrong, they can go badly wrong, um, and and the only way out of it is to is to work the problem, you know, with with some quite talented software developers and and Earth observation people. So, yeah, so that's that's been challenging. We've we've hit a number of those challenges along the way. Um, also, you know, a lot of um, data and and tools are not exactly. Um, uh, what's the word, optimized for, for the South Pacific. So a really good example is some of the um, processing tools, standard processing tools that you would use for satellite imagery um, uh, simply don't work across the anti-meridian, which is you know the 180 degree meridian um, that goes through Fiji. And as luck would have it, it goes through the easternmost of the, the largest islands of Fiji, smack bang through our project. And uh, that has caused a number of issues with a number of the sort of on-the-shelf tools out there because they don't handle that very well um, in terms of coordinates. 
Um, so that was a challenge that that's been interesting. Um, and then obviously we've we've had the impact of of a global pandemic, um, which you know has really impacted just about everything that we've done. Um, and not only that, but we had a staggered pandemic too. So you know we were dealing with a pandemic in our own country, but obviously Fiji um, started experiencing the pandemic much later than we did. So we ended up having a bit of a double pandemic, if you like. Um, so that has has really uh, delayed things a lot, um, made things quite difficult. Um, and then I guess the last challenge has just been geography. You know, Fiji's literally on the other side of the world, and. So, you know, just, you know, the mere timing of this podcast, for example, is an illustration of how difficult it is to to work with a country on that side when they're 12 or 13 hours ahead. Um, it does really make uh, everything unsociable when it comes to meeting and, and, uh, and talking and resolving issues. And so that's been a challenge all the way through as well. But you, you've been able to to overcome these challenges, and and you know you mentioned a, a lot of challenges there. But where where do you see this um, the common sensing tool actually being used in the future? How can it help to in, improve how we tackle climate change as we move forward in the future, particularly for the you know smaller island nation developing states? So I think certainly in terms of I mean I think Limba's given a pretty good um, overview of how. The Esri portal, for example, in Fiji will be used to support government initiatives. Um, and I think that's important, you know, bringing together all that data and making it available to government partners and stakeholders in Fiji uh, to support decision making and, and baseline studies. Um, it's important to bring all that stuff together into one place to, to regard that data as authoritative um, and to use that to justify decisions. Um, so, so that's an important component, I think. Um, and then the other component is is just the data cube itself. The data cube is going to going to be hosted within USP, um, and it's going to be maintained and looked after by by USP. And that means that their students, their postgrads, will be able to use that data cube to not only add new satellite sensors uh, into the mix, but also, uh, we've provided a, a Jupyter Hub environment which allows them to run their own algorithms against that satellite imagery uh, to generate new products. So, you know, Lembo was mentioning mangroves, for example. You, you could develop a, an algorithm that identifies mangroves directly um, and then run that on a monthly basis or a six-monthly basis or whatever you need to support a project. Um, and you know that kind of thing is is really imperative. So we we've tried to to give uh, to provide that environment to allow people to generate products and and take the data cube beyond what we've just provided, which is essentially a, a basic data cube with a series of useful products. We we really want people to take that data cube on and and develop it. Um, we've tried to make it as sustainable as we can, and, and we've also automated a lot of the data processing algorithms that, that go into producing the data and getting it into the cube in the first place. Um, but we really want to see um, Earth observation specialists picking up that cube and taking it on and, and developing um, that cube, adding new sensors and, and making new products. Um, and then I think in, in also in terms of, of the USP side, the, the Vanuatu and, and Solomon Islands and web GIS systems will have a similar impact to the ESRI portal, I think, um, for government uh, partners and stakeholders in, in the Solomon Islands and, and Vanuatu. Um, in terms of just supporting decision-making and government decision-making, um, 
And, you know, all this data works well as long as it's current. And, you know, that's one of the things we're looking at now is, is bringing in the sort of training that we need to provide to people so that they can keep their data sets current, so that they can add new data sets. And as Lemba was mentioning, you know, things like electrification projects and things, you know, we don't have anything in the common sensing which uh, goes towards uh, you know, national power grids or, or even local power grids or any of that kind of data. So bringing that into common sensing um, in the future would, would be able to, you know, you'd be able to even use that data to justify other decisions and, and other projects as well. So I, I think there's a lot of utility there, both at data and tools. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing common sensing being you know, actively used in, in many different spheres. What, what does it mean to you to, to see this project being rolled out and, and starting to make a difference? Well, I, I'm delighted. I mean, obviously it's, it's been a three-year journey for me. I only joined the project you know, about halfway through, um, but that's three years of my life dedicated to this project. You know, so you know, I really wanted to to work in every way possible, and I, I wanted to I wanted to deliver a, a long-lasting legacy. Um, and so, you know, we really have an eye on on the sustainability of the project at the moment, and and trying to make sure that these data and tools are actively used within the ministries, actively used within the, the university, and and are taken on and, and developed going forward. And what more do you need in, in order to succeed? Um, I think some of the biggest things we've needed has just been the time to, to finish some of these things properly. Um, you know, a lot of these tools could really do with some polishing. Um, and then, you know, we really want to put time into the training and capacity building side. Um, you know, as I said earlier, there's no point having amazing data and tools if you're not using them. So, or not using them appropriately. Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of training and capacity building we really want to focus on over the next couple of months, um, just to make sure that people know what the tools should be used for, what they shouldn't be used for, because um, misuse of a tool is, is just as unhelpful as not having one in the first place. Um, and so we, we want to make sure that, that, you know, that they are being properly used within the ministries and, and we want to help Fiji um, government stakeholders, but also the stakeholders in um, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands to, to really make best use of the data and the tools. Um, and we want to make that happen over the next couple of months. And, and Catherine, just to, to bring you back in here, um, how, just so we're clear, how significant is um, utilising space-based data for combating climate change and, and work, making decisions about how to access and delegate climate finance? And, and what are your hopes for the future? You know, it's it's not going to combat climate change. Obviously, what we're experiencing here is, uh, you know, the intensity and severity of uh, tropical cyclones and other climatic disasters are on the increase. We need to take action. So it's really about um, the sort of adaptation um, aspect of it is that, you know, we know that with tropical cyclone Winston, when it came 2016, it had a devastating impact and wiped out, you know, almost a third of, of the economy in, in just a matter of hours. And therefore, um, you know, we, we need to find ways to to get out of, of this debt and to, to find ways to adapt to the adapt to the climate change. And so therefore, 
if we have more money to spend and access um, can access you know affordable finance we can help to be more resilient to some of these issues so i really hope that you know there's there's a lot of discussion right now on changing access procedures to climate finance making them a lot easier for um, especially least developed countries and pacific small island developing states or sids and therefore you know i hope that this will give some way of you know catalyzing and leveraging more finance uh, to be able to deal with some of the impacts that we're already seeing uh, and be able to adapt appropriately and respond to those uh, issues that that we're having but unfortunately i think it's uh, we're not going to be able to turn it around um it's the kind of raising ambition in in some of the high emitters that can can help to stem some of the the worst impacts but uh, as you know fiji's not a high emitter so it's more the adapting side that we need to work on Catherine, are you optimistic for our future in terms of combating climate change and the the impact it's having particularly on small island nation developing states um i i am an optimist um but i think a realistic optimist i think you know it will be technology the technologies are all there that we need for for any of this uh, in order to deal with it the the finance is there it's available the technologies are there we just need to use them in the right way in terms of the transition you know largely the energy transition uh, the the heat transition and and um, also our ability to adapt so yes i'm optimistic it's just down to us really if we are able to uh, recognize that they need to be used in the right way and 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 on the case of equity and and uh, working towards towards that rather than um, continuing in, in some of the cycles, the high carbon infrastructure that we've we've been historically or for the last, you know, century been operating under. OK, well, um, Catherine, thank you very much. I think we'll leave it there. So Lemba, Catherine and Richard, thank you very much for joining us today. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes, visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook.